0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io.
1: What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgan, founder of Marknology, here for today's episode of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, um, startups, entrepreneurship. Today's guest is one that I think I'm very excited to talk to. Uh, I've just had a couple minutes before the show, but very aligned, feels like a very um, similar journey to, to what they're doing. And I want to save some of that for when we get going. What, before we get started, shout out to our sponsor for today's episode of Startup Hustle. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by Wix, helping you build a website you're proud of. Discover the platform that gives you the freedom to create, design, manage, and develop your web presence exactly the way you want. Go to wix.com and check it out. Eric Huberman, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yes, I'm super, super stoked. You're doing some amazing things. About to come up on your seventh birthday, I think, next week as a company. Eighth. 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 Yep. Okay. Got that wrong. Seven years old now, about yep. to turn eight next week. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Um, Eric is with Hawk Media, the CEO and founder. Um, before we get into exactly what Hawk Media does, I like getting into the origin story a little bit. That's maybe a little selfish for me, but I just like hearing about people's, um, path to where they are now. Um, did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, I'd say always knew. And it, not in the sense that it is now, like it wasn't even a thing. Like I just always knew that I'd probably own my own business, but the word entrepreneur wasn't even a popular word when I was, you know, up until I was long into being an entrepreneur.
1: Same. Actually, I didn't know what the word meant. Yeah. Um, mine was a side hustle that grew. Uh you know, I I had to look up the word. I'm like, okay, I guess that's what I am doing. Uh, You know, I I still
0: shy away from it because I think when I hear people say I'm an entrepreneur, it turns me off because it's like, no, but what do you actually do?
1: Like that's that's have you created something out of nothing? Like, you know,
0: yeah, but I think like instead it's like, like, if you someone said what do you do, you'd be like, you know, I run an Amazon business, an Amazon agency, however you put it, whatever your statement is. You know, when someone actually says i'm an entrepreneur i'm like does that mean you're unemployed like what what is that actually
1: <laughs> are you a freelancer yeah <laughs> what, what is
0: yeah exactly i think the word gets thrown around a lot so but All yeah right. i mean in terms of running my own thing or creating something out of nothing i thought i was going to do that from the from a very young age
1: okay um talk to me about like what was your first uh what was your first business idea was it hawk media
0: no 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 my, my i'd say hawk media is my fifth like True structured business filed with the state kind of thing. But going back, like when I was six, I decided I wanted some money and would like go walk around my house. I literally went around our house and took all the things I decided my mom and dad didn't need anymore, threw it in a trash bag and walked door to door selling them to our neighbors.
1: Did they they decide they didn't want them anymore? I I decided.
0: I was a six-year-old. I decided, yeah. Thankfully, it wasn't anything valuable, but it was like literally socks and golf balls and like random. I'm like, my dad has plenty of golf balls. He doesn't need these. So I'm going to go sell them for five cents a piece, not knowing that they were like a buck a (laughs) piece. So that was like the first, like my dad kept, my dad was an entrepreneur and he would always push me to do my own thing, even at a young age. And so when I was eight, he, uh, I told him I wanted an electric guitar. He said, great, get a fucking job. I was like. Okay, like he said it in such a matter of fact way. I still remember just being like, I didn't take that as like a threat or an insult. I was just like, Oh, okay, yeah. That's what out. I have to do to get yeah. it? That's what so, it. so I started uh, selling lemonade and flowers on the side of the road and did not make enough money doing that to make. I was it was going to take me. I think it was I made like five bucks a day. So I was like, This I can't take. It's I need 150 bucks. I I don't have 30 days. Like and as a kid, you're like, That's it forever. Like I no way. I want it
1: now. I want it now.
0: Right. So then. uh, I started seeing the beanie baby craze kick off and so i ended up buying and selling beanie babies and within six months i made like four grand and so
1: that i remember that time yeah is it okay pause there for a second because one i had a crazy encounter with like a drug addict on a train from the airport in dallas selling me a bag of beanie babies this was like in the last year yeah i was just like he's like i got a bag of beanie babies he traded them because this guy owed me some money for drugs do you think I can sell them? And I'm just like, I mean, he didn't know what I do or anything. He was yeah. just like, he sat next to me and I was like, Ugh. I'll give you five bucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what to do. Um, but I, honestly, I've been seeing like Beanie Baby's the official brand, like back in gas stations and like, yeah, they, they just had back? The,
0: uh, the Beanie Baby documentary just came out on Netflix.
1: Okay. Like I didn't know that.
0: It was like a week ago. I stumbled across it.
1: So. Uh, well, I've, I've been seeing them back in like, almost like when GI Joe's came back for a little bit, yeah. it was like, they're back. I didn't know if maybe you being in it, you like knew if they're like re-releasing some stuff or something.
0: I don't think so. But my wife, it turns out, has like back if she had sold the things she had back then, she has like an insane Beanie Baby collection. But now they're worth nothing. So I'm like, I'm hoping it comes back because she's got a stockpile.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, it might be something, you know, Netflix. uh, I think Netflix came out with um, that game about chess. And then like, so I I sell on Amazon. Right. And, and, and so you just like, you know, Netflix can come out with stuff and then all of a sudden you just see like a huge uptick in sales. Might be
0: our partnership in the making. We'll get you to sell hers on Amazon. We'll, we'll call it a day.
1: (laughs) There you go. Um, okay. So beanie babies, four grand. You got your guitar, got my guitar,
0: bought a BMX, save some money for a car. Started to like the idea of making money, but I thought I was going to be a musician. I was going to be a rock star. I was going to be a, a, a guitarist, and still have guitar sitting behind me right there. Not a good. I actually am not that good. Never ended up becoming that good at playing. I enjoy it, but uh, had to learn the lesson around twelve years old of like having a hobby is okay. It doesn't have to be your life calling. Yeah. And so then got more and more into business, and uh, to try to make a what could be a really long story short, graduated college, went into real estate a week to the day before the entire banking industry collapsed in okay. 08 made, made $350 that year in real estate Went, this isn't going to work and started my first online business which was one-on-one business coaching for musicians built it for two years got it profitable hired someone to take it over and then consecutively built and sold two subscription e-commerce fashion sites a t-shirt subscription site and then a women's activewear brand and after doing that had built some credibility had put some money away uh, knew what I was doing. I was at that point, 26 years old, but had a reputation in LA of understanding this stuff because I was such an early mover. And so started consulting and advising uh, for a bunch of big and small brands. I was working with Red Bull and Verizon but as well, and HP, but as well as a lot of startups and just saw how hard it was for companies to find decent marketing talent or decent agencies. 90, as you know, you're in this industry. 99% of the agencies out there are just selling snake oil. They have no idea what they're doing. Yep. And a few that are good are expensive, want long contracts, high minimums. It's really hard to find a really talented agency that's also easy to work with. And so I wanted to create that. And that's how we started this little seven person team that was like my SWAT team. And then it just took off. And so, as you said, we're about to be eight. We're about, I think, 320 people and companies still bootstrapped. We also have a venture fund. We have a financing arm. We have uh, our book coming out. We've got Uh, We also help co-found a bunch of brands. We have a whole investment side of the business, et cetera.
1: Um, First of all, hashtag goals. Uh, (laughs) You know, I would say that's amazing. Um, Definitely feel like I've heard of Hawk Media, whether it's through ads or like industry news or it's definitely come across my my email or social or something. So I definitely see you guys are making a splash and that's amazing. Um, You know, one thing you said there was just like 99% of agencies are just like, a waste of time and energy um and i know that and you know i honestly have been in the in the business of building trust uh and mm-hmm. reputation for the last five years you know once once yep. i really realized kind of what you're up against and um who's out there and it, it seems like every brand you're talking to has gone through a bad breakup yep. you know
0: everyone um
1: and so you're you're getting into a damaged relationship almost every single time yeah and and overcoming that before you can get to the good stuff you know of really growing the brand yep. um so i really relate to that um you, you mentioned a lot of things there one thing you didn't mention is um uh, growing the business through acquisitions and some of the notes i have here um i think were even outdated because you have a couple more on the horizon um, and a
0: couple more done yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i i love that um so six acquisitions the business yeah. is eight, about to turn 8 uh-huh. um was this something that was always part of your plan when you went from seven? Was it like, we're going to be a small yeah. team or you're like, I'm going to be 300 employees. Like this is, this is where I'm going.
0: So, yeah, I would say the first four years were pretty laid out to get to basically about a hundred employees. It was like, we're going to, it was actually revenue numbers that I used as like the scoreboard. So I was like, we're going to do one, two and a half, five, ten million. half, five, 10 million. That's the numbers and you know, whatever headcount that takes. And so we did that and I will say like, I got to the end of year four that we we got within 1% of all those numbers like we okay. set the goal we did it it was awesome but then i hadn't picked my head up to be like all right what's next so then the next two years were actually the i'd say the hardest time at hawk media we didn't make a lot of money we uh we were tight we weren't growing as fast we were it was at, one of my friends came to work for us for those two years and he said we were basically in puberty and i thought it was the most accurate description like our body didn't quite fit our brain and like we were going through changes and couldn't really figure it out. Once we got through that and really honed in on where our place was in the market. And this was beginning of 2020, actually, we really, we, we got really lucky because we got a lot of clarity towards the end of 2019 of like who we were, what we need to be. we made some changes at the beginning of 2020 pre COVID and then COVID hit. And don't get me wrong. That was the scariest month of my life. But after about a month, we figured out like, everything we had set up for this business was exactly what people needed. The flex- Our whole mission became, and it, it was always this, but it wasn't articulated as this, which is accessibility to great marketing for everyone. So we wanted to be very accessible, nimble, flexible, cost-effective, but the best at what we do. And that is a reputation we have built is we're really easy to work with, but we're really good at what we do. And that comes with some costs in terms of like, we end up with some flippant clients that never commit that it, you know, the accessibility resonates way more than us being good at what we do. And so mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I could just fire you to next month. It's like, that's not the point. But with that also came a lot of flexibility that when people were panicking about what to do because of COVID, they came to us. And so we skyrocketed during all that. And, uh, and we had also become very good at articulating our mission internally. And so that combination helped. And so back to your question of did I know what was coming first four years? I just kind of had my head down building the core business. And then I'd say it was like end of, around year five. So it's around that time I realized. So our first acquisition, I think, was in our sixth year. So around year five uh, or during our fifth year, uh, I looked at other peers, companies, agencies that were slightly bigger than us that had gone, you know, were growing. And a lot of them would be, you know, around 15 million in revenue, which was what we did in year five, uh, just about we, I, around that number, I watched a lot of companies start looking at MA in terms of our types of businesses, because they, it is a lot faster to grow through acquisition than it is to just hire more salespeople or, you know, build your business that way. Organically, organic starts to get a lot slower. And so it's like, we should still build that way, but we should start looking at MA and start learning it. And I've always taken a long-term approach on my business. I just assumed I'd never sell it. And now I probably won't, because it's gotten to the point now where it's worth way more to me than I think it'd be worth to someone that would buy. It. And we've had absurd offers, $150 million cash offers for the business. And I own 75% of it. My partner owns 25. So like real numbers that it's like, yeah, but everything we've built now, I think I'd rather keep it. And because of that, you end up more long-term focused. And how do I build this long-term? And so I'm looking at how to, and so at this point, It's more how do I build a multi-billion dollar company? How do I go worldwide? How do I build something that is world-class, worldwide, like Deloitte EY level business? And that is a lot of what drives our decision making now and how we build it is for that bigger picture future. And so that helped. And that's that what I was talking about in that transition during year five and six. By the time we ended year six, a lot of that clarity had come. We had started doing a little MA that kind of fell in our lap. And then we had built more and more of a strategy around it. And now at this point, it really took getting some great talent around that side of the business. We have Mm. someone really good running our corporate development that you need, because it's a really hard thing to do. It's, you know, usually takes- While you're moving,
1: while you're doing everything else. Yeah.
0: Correct. And so building that out, we now have someone great. And we've now got, I think, enough traction with it that it's, you know- It's like anything when you said about building trust, when you can show and have your potential acquisitions, talk to people that are already been acquired by us. And they're like, oh, they can get comfortable with it. And you've gone through every, it's honestly like a sales job too. You've gone through every objection, every negotiation, everything. It's at the point now where, you know, we'll be closing hopefully our seventh and eighth deals this week, next week we're doing right now. And we've opened a ninth at this point. But all the de- there's a lot of deals that have fallen through during that too. So you've done gone through so many of these that it's like we know where you're going with this. Here's how this is gonna work. Yes, yeah, and you can make it really simple. So it all you can also walk away easily, which is nice. And so we've started to get that into a machine that's you know responsible for a good piece of our growth. It'll be you know with how much we grew last year, I think it'll be about a third of our growth last year was through M&A.
1: Okay. So not just acquiring team, but acquiring their book of business, acquiring, bolting on everything else. Yeah. Their, um, their
0: services, their team, their book of business, their territory. You know, we bought an agency in Canada and officially launched in Canada. Uh, and uh, I will share, even though it's early, but one of these acquisitions we're open and close is in the UK. So we'll have our first European office.
1: I love that. And um, that is goals as well. We run a lot of international brands like Italian brands coming to the U S Canadian brands coming to the U.S., U.S. brands going to Canada, Um, understanding that, you know, understanding import, uh, understanding how to price once you get to Canada, Um, these are all things you got to learn as a business. If you don't come with that knowledge already. Right. And you're trying to figure it out, whether it's on the Amazon side in a silo or it's your entire commerce division, you know, what, um,
0: part of what's fun about this is breaking things. I mean, to be honest, because when you fix them, then you're even more solid, you're more stable, you're more defensible. And so good example of that is, we you know, we bought this Canadian agency and we, <laughs> we went to onboard all their people and it turns out our payroll system doesn't work in Canada. So we have spent, we spent six months wiring money to their bank accounts so they could continue to pay their own people while we figured out how to fix that. And so these are things that you learn along the way. And I I, I even tell our own team this because it's like, People assume that the bigger these companies get there's some ghost in the machine that makes all this happen it's like no it's a bunch of idiots fucking up and then figuring it out it's really more about being reactive and quickly fixing things than it is being a genius and having a crystal ball
1: you know i honestly i played a lot of so i grew up in africa till i was 16 where uh cameroon botswana congo um was a missionary kid yeah but my dad had me on computers um i'm 35 so my dad had me on computers like pretty young um we were building them you could no one had pcs like you know and when i went to africa there wasn't a lot to do you know i was homeschooled uh we were in pretty dangerous environments um so you know you go out once in a while but you're at home you're in the compound you're doing things you're studying get done with school pretty early and have a lot of time and um you know problem solving networking back then I was, you know, I went to, uh, I was networking five or six computers. You used to have to have expensive software. Like it didn't just plug and play yep. um, and and playing games. I played a lot of games and there wasn't streaming. There's was no Twitch. Like, you know, you just yep. played lots of games and games were hard back then. Yep. Um, games were hard. Um, and I well, really look back.
0: Games were built for hardcore gamers. They weren't built for every, like they didn't have this mass market appeal yet because, video gamers were weird people. I was a gamer too. And like, it was when I was a gamer and I was competitive, you didn't talk about it like at school, whatever you
1: didn't mention it. It was a You didn't want people thing. to know. Yeah, right, because, exactly. But I remember having like me and two of my buddies would play the same game on the same screen. They would come and help me because the challenges were hard. And it was like, okay, let's take turns or like, yeah. you play for an hour, I'll play for an hour. And some of those games, you know, those, and it's like, I enjoy that. I embrace that, you know, and it's that problem solving that is the Amazon platform, you know, I'm essentially fixing their database all the time. And, um, it's the willingness to take on those challenges. And, you know, it's also my source of confidence, uh, you know, when it comes to, Hey, that I've seen everything break possible in the Amazon platform and then we fixed it. Right. Um, and you start, that's like, you know, the, the entrepreneurial saying that's like fail forward, or you gotta fail to learn. And it's the truth you know, it's cliche, but it's true. It's like, um, as soon as I've seen a problem I haven't seen before and we fix it, now I have that solution and, um, that's, you know, put it into the team's database. We've got another thing we can fix. We've got another, another invention that's, we had an issue solving and we figured it out, or we failed with a brand that should have been a home run. Um, and they didn't see the results we thought we would. Why, What, what, what happened there? What went wrong? And when I think whenever you embrace those things, you also realize when I'm talking to a company that's doing 20 million and I'm talking to that founder, he doesn't know, he or she doesn't know everything either. And that's where the confidence yeah. kind of comes from is like, it's more on, I know that whatever problem comes up, my team can tackle, uh, you know, we can tackle it together. We can fix that problem unless less like this person has the answers just because they're this big. Or... What I think,
0: well, yeah. I and mean, you've done it, but also it's knowing that like, no one's that smart like we've worked, I've worked with some of the brightest people in the world, like objectively. And it's still like, okay, cool. Like they're smart. Yeah, they've done well, but most successful people are there mostly because of luck. They worked hard. They came up with a good idea, but like timing and luck are a massive factor in success. Correct. And there's, right. I'd say there's exceptions. Like Elon Musk is brilliant. Like from an objective standpoint, like the guy, because first time you're lucky. Second time you're good. Like Jesus Christ, the guy has done a lot, but like, I'd argue that Steve jobs was very smart and very, you know, good at what he did but there was a lot of luck involved i mean you talk about the timing the guy grew up in a town and got to intern at uh atari and hp and all that and then you have steve or sorry uh bill gates had the first junior high computer lab in the country like there's when you connect the dots you're like oh there's some you know that's
1: why he fell into that you right know? exactly
0: Boy. at the youngest in the it, it literally you're talking about being early in computers i mean the guy that was in the mid-60s the guy you know he was born in 55 by like whatever that was, 67, 66, he's in a computer web, like that didn't exist. So he got to run that exercise, that muscle in computers way before anyone else did.
1: Right. Like if my dad um, hadn't been like wanted PCs personally, right. like him in his thirties, like he wasn't interested in them and building them. And um, I wouldn't have felt as confident around them. And, you know, I wouldn't have dabbled and computer science wouldn't have been the degree I chose because I was pursuing music as a full-time musician. Um, and I would have, you know, this was like, Hey, this is easy for me. I'm going to take it as a backup degree while I'm touring. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, found myself in e-commerce because I hated networking. It's just like these timing things. Exactly. If my dad hadn't introduced me to computers, I wouldn't have had confidence around them. It wouldn't, you know, so a hundred percent agree. Um, but I also believe in seizing opportunity and luck is one of those things that's like you have to take action regardless. You had to spend thousands of hours in that lab, figuring it out or whatever the case might be. You know, um, I I could talk to you on that all day. I want (laughs) to get into, we have a couple more things to talk about. Um, but I, I just love that synergy. And it's like when, you know, I talk to entrepreneurs and founders all the time and, um, there's so many things in common that we share yeah. that, that, that people in that space share. Well, um, that's
0: why those networking groups and like things like YPO are incredible. Cause then you get to sit down like, cause with most of your peers, it's not uncommon. Like if you look at your high school friends, your family, et cetera, if they're non entrepreneurs, they roll their eyes at some of the shit you complain about. But if you go sit down with a bunch of entrepreneurs, they've all been through it. They've, they're going through those exact same things. It's actually not, you're not unique. And it's kind of nice to know that.
1: Yeah. Actually like 2020, um, Was stressful for me too. And be like, you know, what was my identity if if I lose this business? And it wasn't because people didn't need e-commerce. It was that maybe people won't have the money to pay us to run their businesses. Right. Or you can't, can't control those decisions.
0: Well, even Uh, the idea of like, again, we've been doing this about the same amount of time. Like I just spent seven years or at that point, what, six years building something and it's might be gone. Like what what is going on here?
1: So (laughs) it was devastating. And then I just started focusing on, okay, maybe I'm not signing a lot of brands during this time because everyone's in a freeze. Yeah. But by golly, like these brands need us right now and I'm going to help these people and these companies. You know, this might be the only channel that they're actually like, you know, crushing sales or growing in or able to sustain their business through this. And it just became a focus of, let's switch to that. Um, What we do is not easy. And, you know, right. with an ever evolving landscape of what marketing is today and uh, like, direct peer-to-peer uh one-to-one you know that's new we're not just seeing C- Cialis commercials uh <laughs> on espn football games that are yep. everyone in america's watching or whatever yep. male female child why are we just broadcasting this to this right and it's like no we're getting more intentional um we can now advertise on twitch and all these things um it takes more than just one person i you know like that's why we have agencies because i believe yep. there's an entire skill set that's needed now to operate a business at a high level when it comes to marketing yep. let's take let's take 5 minutes um just to talk about hawk media and um i love the way you guys have positioned yourself like as a fractional C- cmo mm-hmm. um for me i had a really hard time when i was a uh an early leader, I guess in the the Amazon agency space, there was no Amazon agency. There was some freelancers on Upwork like, and then there was people doing it for themselves. Yeah. Um, And I couldn't get it to resonate really my elevator pitch with what I do. People were like, what does that mean? You put products up? Like that's not what we do. Right. Yeah. Um, And it was, this fractional i never heard the term fractional either um you know a few years ago it's a newer term Mm -hmm. but whenever i went to marknology and amazon brand accelerator um people got it and we don't just grow brands but you know it's basically we take brands and we we grow them on this platform because it was like a a catchphrase that people understood yep fractional cmo i get that right out the gate Uh, maybe i don't know exactly how it works but for anyone listening, can you just break down exactly how you interact with brands? We've talked about how it can be uh, um, easy um, to do, but let's get more into that.
0: Yeah. So we basically, we'll go into brands of all kinds and we work with e-com brands. We work with service businesses. We work with SaaS businesses. We work with hospitality, et cetera. So like a lot of different categories and we'll go in and look at, What they're doing, we'll do basically a free audit of their marketing, and then put together a plan of that's all à la carte and month to month of all the things we think they need to be covering, whether it's a Facebook marketing, email marketing, web design, a fractional CMO, like whatever those pieces are that we think that company needs based on their resources, based on their where they are in marketing, where their business is, their goals, et cetera. And then the whole point of month to month is not so that we get fired in a month; it's so that it can be nimble and flexible. Because what I've learned is their needs and the marketing needs change. Randomly and along the way, it's consistently going to change. It's going. There's no one that's run the same marketing plan for a decade. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. Um, and so we are able to, you know, build a business model that actually is complements that. Versus most agencies want a three year commitment and exactly what they're going to do and they plan it out ahead of time. And it's a dumb thing to do because that's not how marketing works. And so that is in a nutshell. We'll, so again, we go in we. Then present a proposal of, like, hey, here are the things you need based on your budgets, based on your goals, based on what we see you need to do. And it's all a la carte. So generally, people go, great, let's go. But sometimes we then change it based on some more feedback we get, and then we go. And from then on, we kind of reevaluate constantly are we doing the right things? Are things working the way we want them? How, you know, resetting expectations weekly or biweekly is kind of critical for our uh, business because communication is really where we live or die, not execution. Yep. kind of a baseline. Like we know how to do marketing. We get it done. We do, my team does a great job. Like that's not an issue for us anymore. And it never really was, but like, we're so buttoned up there now where we live and die is really like making sure that we communicate well with the client and keep them apprised of what's going on and keep their expectations set right. So that we can continue to work with them on those things. And so wow, that, that's really it in a nutshell.
1: Sounds like a mirror. Uh, <laughs> I'll be honest. Like, you know, I was, um, having a discussion yesterday, uh, just kind of trying to explain where Marknology sits in the industry and how we're different. And, you know, there's in the Amazon space, I don't know if like how much, you know, or not, but to any listeners, there's like, you can sell wholesale, you can go like, which is like finding a brand already that has top of funnel and sourcing their products and being the person to put them on Amazon. Um, somewhat dying, uh, method of selling. Um, you can go brand direct where the brand is like, okay, you're going to be the only person selling our stuff, like run the brand for us. Um, you can be a private label seller, maybe developing a product overseas or a local manufacturer, even like developing a product. Um, there's all these different ways, um, of selling. And a lot of them go with those methods because they were unable to figure out the relationship part. Unable to figure out the account management of talking to them on a weekly basis and having people that can get along with people. You know, if I'm talking to a hundred year old manufacturer that's never sold online, they've never got an actionable feedback loop on their products from direct customers. Like that's what happens to some of these people that have been in business a very long time and have never had a customer comment on their product and they get to see it. Yeah. It's, it goes through Best Buy, it goes through Walmart and, you know, they're seeing it, they like it, they return it. Walmart knows that the brand doesn't. Right. And, um, that can become that, that is the challenge really that Marknology has looked to solve for. And really what stands out is that account management side that you're talking about. That is the magic piece, the easy to work with high touch boutique that cares um, that actually wants to get results. It's not just about churn, you know, it's about like actually getting a reputation of being a successful agency because we've picked the right clients we've got on the same page We're we're in partnership with them. So 100% 100% um that's amazing to hear it's not something you hear all the time but in the amazon space it's it's um it's a huge thing uh just because of all the outsourced talent for designers and um you know entrepreneurs in the amazon space that are like okay how do i have a day job how do i outsource all this work and a lot of times it's well, those, those agencies that they now have created can't necessarily talk to clients in the Midwest, maybe because yeah. it's the middle of the night in India or, yeah. um, you know, whatever that is. So one of the most challenging things I think I've ever taken on for sure. Oh yeah. Running
0: um, an agency is nuts, but you know, if you can get, I, I thankfully, so one of the biggest lessons I learned in business was like a month into business, really long story short, but had a, just a big hiccup in business and called my dad and like told him this five minute diatribe about like everything that was going wrong and da 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 da, and he goes. His response was, "What are we? Oh yeah, that shit happens all the time. Anyways, I got to run and talk to you later," and hangs up on me. And like this was like my whole world was collapsing. And his response is, "That shit happens all the time. Quick, I'm, like hmm." So it took me a few years to really learn that lesson, but it is true that when you run a business, it's always fucking crazy. Like that is running a business. Like look at right now. Look at uh, what's it, Tim Cook or look at Jeff Bezos or like whoever it is. Like they're having to go in front of the government who wants like you know, Elon Musk has paid more taxes than any of individual in history and has created electric cars, the mainstream thing and private space flight. And Congress is yelling about him and calling him a scumbag and a a freeloader. Like, it's like, you know, you are you never get away. You can be the highest achieving person in the literally our country and you're going to get shit and you're going to have to deal with problems. And so assuming that ever goes away is crazy. So if you can accept that, I think that it just... It it becomes so much more fun because like yeah it's a shit show it's all a shit show life's a shit show no, that a shit show yeah and that's okay like get used to it move on don't let the stress get to you and you'll probably have a lot more fun with it.
1: No, I agree, and I, I have that conversation with with brand owners or or Amazon sellers all the time. It's hey I've been doing this ten years, which isn't forever, but they might be in year one and this is the first time they're experiencing these problems or you know, yeah. pan, the last two years have been insane as far as problems on Amazon and logistically and everything. Um, and it's just like, Hey, just be calm. Like, you yep. know, this might take an extra week. It's going to be, but I'm not in it for the short game. I'm here yeah,
0: exactly.
1: you know, for the long game. And either way, we're going to get through it. We always will. Um, you know, it's like, not, not that I'm dad, but it's that voice of just like, look, whatever you're freaking out about someone else has experienced a thousand times, like it's going to be okay. Right. This yep. is normal. Yeah. Um, and you know, and there, I used to work, uh, at, uh, in a knock, which is a network operations control, like, and, uh, it was exciting at the beginning. So I learned it and I sat there for 12 hour shifts, uh, you know, a major credit card company and I waited for stuff to break and it was the most boring time of my life. Yeah. And, um, in business, like I have never had a boring day. Like, a, yeah. I literally oh, no. haven't been bored in seven years. Like, you And know, some
0: people um, want to be bored and some people don't. And I think that's why 1% of the country are entrepreneurs or whatever that percentage is. It's small is because, yeah, a lot of people do just want to go do their job and go home. Like, or in this case, do their job and close their laptop. I guess they're already home. But uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, but, that's okay. That's, I think that's important to know about yourself too. Like, do you actually want the constant, you know, tumult and everything going? Or do you want to just check out at the end of the day?
1: Okay, before we get into your book, which is what I really want to hammer the Hawk method, and and I'm going to leave them hanging. We're going to give a shout out to our sponsor real quick for today's episode. Uh, Today's episode is brought to you by Wix. Where do you go when you want to create, manage and grow your business online? Wix the leading website creation platform. Create a website with designer-made templates that can be customized for your business and look great on all devices. Reach new audiences with intelligent SEO tools designed to get you found on search engines. Manage it all from one place at home, at the office, or on the go. You'll never miss a thing when it comes to your business. Join over 200 million people already doing it and head over to Wix.com to get started. Something I'm going to say to that, just real quick, Eric, is... Websites used to be really hard to create and Wix and and Shopify have changed the game for everybody. Um, But you can create the most beautiful website in the world if you don't have the marketing to push it, to get people to see it. You're just sitting alone in a field in the middle of Kansas and no one's going to see your beautiful website. So um, services like Hawk Media, if I can make a plug there, a great way to take that Wix site to the next level.
0: Well, and if you, you mentioned the Hawk method, if you go to hawkmethod.com and buy the book, it is on a Wix site.
1: <laughs> okay. So there we go. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Handed yeah. that home. Let's talk about it. I um, loved your sponsor. This is a, uh, this is a book that was written by you and your media team. Yeah. Um, let's talk about what was the, like, what was the motivation behind the book? Um, yeah. and, and what are you sharing with the audience?
0: Yeah. You know, it, it's, for eight years, we've, you know, had this mission of accessibility to great marketing for everyone, and we've continued to help companies do so. But, we, you know, we're. I found that I was speaking at a lot of conferences and, t- frankly, just talking to a lot of founders about, like, how do I look at marketing? How should I even analyze this? And it's I, for me, it's th- the same diatribe over and over again. After eight years, it's like, this is how marketing works. You look at awareness, nurturing, and trust, the three principles mm-hmm. of marketing, and then you categorize it this way, and this is how you look at it. And I kept talking about this for years and years, and finally... Honestly, I met uh, a a guy at a party, a networking thing, and he was a ghostwriter. And just went, "Well, I've been trying to put this together. Do you want to help me and my team put it together?" And so looped in my team. Wanted to go into more detail than just the overall principle, but like really get into some meat and some tactics around it. And so we spent. God, I think a year and a half, two years writing this book on like all our marketing principles and like how we do things uniquely and how we've grown over thirty five hundred brands successfully or whatever. The number's higher than that now, but I think on the that's is what it says. And uh and yeah, so we uh we put together basically this, you know, it's infrastructure that we use internally. It's it is our marketing methodology. Called it the Hawk method, seemed appropriate. And uh yeah, and now we've spent uh, like three, four, I think three, three to six months, somewhere in there planning the launch of it. And it's launching March 8th, but we've done the pre launch. And the goal is to sell 20,000 books by pre launch or by launch. Excuse me. So,
1: well, I love it. I'm going to get one of them for sure. You. Um, I think you talked about three principles and you know, there's, um, it's widely known that there's four principles of marketing. I've at least seen those. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you combat that? Well, how do you come the four up with your, the four P's?
0: Yeah. I would to call them the four principles, but yeah, there's a four P's, but it's okay. But, uh, so, you know the 4p's uh price product positioning and ch- placement
1: no that's, that's positioning. they must not be that important cuz neither no. of us remember them yeah. but
0: actually sure look this up
1: <laughs> i would love to talk about like how you came up with your three um yeah. and something similar we have something here we call it our methodology we don't have a book yet we call it the marknology effect Um, And it's the, you know, the effect you get from applying these principles into your into your Amazon business. Um, I'd love to know, like, you know, how you came up with these. Um, I know that you probably originally developed some of these in those first startups before Hawk, um, and then brought them to Hawk, but let's share some of those. You
0: yeah, they, so the three are awareness nurturing and trust those are the okay. three principles and it came from you just nailed it like doing this like doing it over and over and over again and, and and then you know my job for eight years for a lot of my job has been to look at businesses and go what is what's wrong with their marketing and what what's missing and then because i had to do it so much i developed my own framework of how to analyze a company's marketing and it really came down to okay well what are they, what are they, do they to doing create for awareness? A, yeah. What are they doing to create awareness? Meaning like, what are they doing to introduce themselves to new potential customers? And then what are they doing with that awareness? Because things like email marketing, content, SMS marketing, their website, funnel, site speed, all these things that make sure they go from awareness to actually converting. And then what are they doing after that conversion to stay in touch with their customers? That's all nurturing. Cause you need a lifetime value to actually make this make any sense. And then it was like, okay, well what's missing in that? If I have nurturing and I have awareness, you still need to be build trust and validation. Like trust yeah. is really important as well because even if you ping them, you advertise how great you are and then you email them how great you are. If they don't see any third-party validation or you're not a ubiquitous brand that they already know, you're probably not making the sale still. In fact, 75% of people say they won't purchase from a company they don't inherently trust. So knowing that, it, it, Those became the three ways we worked at it. It's like, okay, if if a company's not performing, let's go analyze why. What are they doing for awareness? They're doing these things. Well, how's that performing? What is that costing? Are they doing the right ways of creating awareness? How do you leverage awareness? What are the different tools to use there? And that's where we talk about like what's the difference between Facebook and Google marketing versus TikTok versus YouTube versus TV, radio, PR, whatever it one is. One might
1: be, one might convert. One might be more of a conversion platform. One of them might be more of an awareness platform. Okay.
0: And how do you measure that? And how do you actually still make sure that you're doing the right things? Because quote unquote, awareness is what a lot of terrible agencies use as a scapegoat for like, yeah, we can't track it because we don't really know how it's performing. So that's that piece. And then nurturing, again, like email marketing, SMS, chatbots, uh, content, your website, all these things that you do to nurture your customers. And then again, how do you build that trust? And so we just look at where what's missing. Is their conversion rate bad? because we're driving tons of awareness, but then they're not converting. So then it's a question of, okay, well, is it something in that funnel, like something on the nurturing side, or are we driving the wrong awareness? So like you get, it starts to help you analyze, like where is the problem here? And so I would explain this to CEOs. And this this was a pretty critical part in uh, building this was I went and spoke for the first time. for I joined YPO, which for those that don't know, basically the, there's 29,000 members of YPO around the world. The minimum to join is 13 million in revenue. And 50 employees, and that's the smallest business. The average business has 70 million in revenue. So it's a lot of really solid CEOs, and it gets way bigger than that. Sheryl Sandberg is in YPO. The president of Panama is in YPO. I was asked to speak at their marketing summit about marketing, and so I'm going there, going like, "What am I going to teach these guys? Like, they're all successful." At the time, I had just joined. We were pretty much the bottom threshold of that, and I get in the room and I start talking, and I realize I have them fully captivated, and they have no idea what I'm talking about, like. Thankfully, like I know how to explain this stuff but I was like oh these people are really talented in their businesses but that doesn't mean they know marketing like mm. even at a high level like these are very bright people that have no idea how to look at their marketing team and these are people that run 100 200 500 billion dollar companies million dollar companies whatever and I uh, and so that's when I started to like explain like all the basics I've explained to our most junior employees and to a lot of our clients I started explaining to these more successful people and realizing like this is something that most people, meaning 99.9999% of people never come across. And it is simple for me because I've done it for 15 years fully, but for most people it's not. And so that's where this explanation comes in and how to analyze this. And so started to explain it. And that's what frankly is in the book is how, how as a CEO or a head of marketing or a marketing student or a marketing manager or someone that's just interested, how can I learn how to quickly analyze a marketing strategy and put one together?
1: I love it. And we do the same thing on Amazon. I'll be honest. It's taking existing marketing principles to Amazon. It's okay. We're getting a ton of traffic, no conversions. Okay. um, Our main keywords aren't converting for our listing. Why are we doing a bad job of selling what we're selling? Uh, Our customers not buying bar sets on Amazon that are premium and they're there to get the deal. Um, you know, are we selling to the wrong demographic? Um, do we look too scientific? Um, you know, so all those things from advertising to the conversion, to the follow-up, how do we get them off of Amazon into our funnels, uh, into email marketing or SMS marketing? How do we continue to nurture them off Amazon where, where you're limited on Amazon? Okay. Let's, let's include QR codes on our packaging. Let's create, you know, all those little touches and things. Um, and you know, you're, 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 a, you're um, auditing a brand and seeing what they're doing well. And if you've done, you know, I think Marknology much smaller number than 3,500 brands. Like we're closer to like 350 that we've worked Mm -hmm. with, you know, um, less all a cart. So it's like engagements, but, um, it's a lot of models of running through, hey, what's working, what's not, and what did they okay, what did this brand do? Well, oh, their off Amazon efforts were amazing. Okay. Okay. So that that impacted us on Amazon. How do we know that? We didn't have attribution back then. Well, you know, you're you're just reverse engineering out of all those things and kind of coming up with, okay, um we have a great product. When it gets in people's hands, they love it. Um, we're just not doing a good job of convincing them. You know, maybe at the $20 price point, we sell these like crazy. At the right. $30 price point, we're not doing a good enough job of selling that value, you know, and just yeah. um, the basic principles just brought to Amazon. And I think I love how it's it's simple, but it's great, um, yeah. you know, in regards to um, laying that out there. And, you know, I went to Babson College, which is the Goldman Sachs. You- Oh, so um, we have
0: a billion mutual friends then. With we're the same age, and I should have gone to Babson. So
1: <laughs> okay, I didn't go to Babson uh, for my degree. I went there for an ex, a business accelerator oh, cool. for a semester. Nice. Um, and so I should have started with that, but um, <laughs> I just went to uh Hawaii University. We were talking about yeah. Um, and Babson was something in the year twenty twenty before the pandemic. Actually, I was going to Babson, and uh-huh. they bring you in if you're a certain business size and. Uh, it's called the 10kSB program, and um, you know, like the uh, founder of Spanx, and all of them went to those kinds of things. Babson's great, and yeah. I was really there. You know, it was 150 businesses. You had to be a certain size, three plus years old, like those yeah. kinds of things. So everyone there is a colleague at some level, yeah. and it was it was amazing for that community, but also. Um, you can have so many insecurities as a founder, right? Like, okay, I'm great at this. I'm not great at this. They're like, you know, my God, whether bringing me into talk, what do I have to say? Like, I'm still trying to figure out my, my SOPs, you know, and, or like these things. And what I learned there was, I was like, in, when it comes to marketing, crushing it, right. Not just an agency that does it for others, but doing it for ourselves. We're a B2B business and I'm doing it for B2C businesses. Right. Um, And so why finance might need this or this, it was, there's all these successful businesses, hundred million dollar businesses, whatever that literally don't understand email marketing or don't understand SMS marketing or don't understand they're not creating any content. They don't have social media. Um, And really it's um, it's surprising to know like how many businesses out there are very, very successful without really understanding just the basic principles.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. And it's, But it's the same thing for me where like, if I tried to, um, what's a good example? Um, I try to learn a lot about a lot of businesses these days, but like retail, real estate, I don't know a lot about. And so, you know, I have friends that are incredible in it that are multi-billion dollar portfolios. And it's like, I wouldn't, if I sat in a room and had them talk for an hour and about what they found basic, it'd blow me away. It's the same thing. It's like, that's where expertise comes in.
1: Exactly. And once you learn that, you're like, you're ready to pay for coaching. You're ready to hire oh, that yeah. consultant. Um, you're ready to get, you know, you learn pretty quickly. Um, yeah,
0: no, I've got a business coach. I signed up for basically what it sounds like is Harvard's version of your Babson program. I actually just okay. did another program at UT Austin. I uh, go to a bunch of different masterminds. It's yeah, those programs, the, the investment is incredible.
1: You wouldn't know that unless you became an expert yourself, I think is really where yeah. you're like, look, I value what I do and I know this thing like nobody else knows it. Um, that must mean that there's a lot of other industries and categories and, and subjects that um, I would be positioned exactly the same. And I need somebody like me to help me. Um, <laughs> you know, so I love that. I'm excited to get into the book. I'll be honest. And uh, are you, yeah. uh, when is it being released?
0: Uh, so it's already out pre-sale. Okay. Uh, it'll okay. be shipped March 8th.
1: Okay, I love it. You I'll can get buy in it there. on
0: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, hawkmethod.com, built on Wix.
1: <laughs> well, I got to I got to support Wix and I got to support Amazon at the same time. It's uh yep. it's a uh, career security. but I know how important reviews are and I know you have some yeah. goals to to crush oh, it. Oh yeah, there, no, so. we're
0: we're firing I mean, we are invest over investing into this book to make it a real thing. We've got NYU and Columbia, University of Arizona, I think USC, UCLA, a few others picking it up as a cur- part of their curriculum. Like we want this this is hopefully going to put a mark on the world that, you know, as you said, we've done it, you know, we've drank our own punch and done a lot of our own marketing and built a brand for ourselves. But I hope we're just getting started. Like what's fun about this for me is to build and grow. And, you know, when people say, what, what, what is your hope? What's your outcome for Hawk Media? I'm not looking to sell this. I'm not looking to flip it. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's marketing world domination. I want to take over the marketing world.
1: I'm going to take a second to speak to that because as, um, an agency owner that's you know been pursued in the last couple of years to sell or be bought or join a bigger group um i never started this company with the idea of an exit i was building something that i thought was to solve a need and that people needed and to create value and to change my family's legacy as well yeah um but it was you know when you don't have an exit in mind uh you do things completely different and Correct. you know to, to the companies trying to acquire us um you know my conversation was just look if i was trying to build a company to exit i would have done xyz and instead right. i've been investing back in my people and exactly. resources and things like that's completely different strategy um yep. there's very few founders i talk to eric that i i know a couple that are that love what they do that are building for the sake of building trying to be an industry leader a thought leader or just want to yep. be the best damn agency in the world you know um so it's a pleasure to meet you and get a, get a, get to speak well. with you about some of this. Um, we're getting close on that that time on the hour. I would love to take just like the last few minutes for you to share something, maybe choose at random uh, that you'd like to share with the audience. Just we're, we're in a new year, um, you know, new goal setting. Uh, yep. you are, you've are you achieved what a lot of people would love to, I think, in a lot of ways and still feel like you're just getting started. Um, what's one piece of advice you'd like to listen to any new or, or old existing yeah. founders that are tuning in?
0: So I'm going to build off of what you just said which is building for the long term. Part of that is building an organization that allows you to not feel like you're in a marath or in a sprint but more of a marathon. And so a year in we got offered to sell the company for 14 million bucks when we did 400 grand in profit. Like real money for a 27-year-old and my partner and we turned it down but with the caveat of like we knew we could build a lot bigger and we're like Let's turn it down, but like, let's make this so that we're not rushing to sell it. Like if we build this to be sustainable, like what would we do if we sold? What, what does that world look like? And thank
1: ones,
0: probably. And like, in terms of like, what, what does retirement look like at 27 years old? And for me, I was like, well, I want to go see, I want to go on a really epic travel, like really epic trip two or three times a year, like 10 day trip somewhere crazy. Take a week off, meaning Friday to Sunday and go somewhere really cool. And my partner's like, I want to play golf every other Wednesday morning. It's like, well, what's just do that now, Do that like, now. build the company so that we can go do that. And then when I'm around, like, I can't sit still. Like it's, you know, I actually took last week off and stayed home. And I got to be honest, it kind of sucked. I was bored out of my mind. I was like, can't like when I had a few meetings come up, like people that needed to talk, I'm like awesome. <laughs> so I, I don't like sitting still. And so it was like, well, okay. So then at, because of that mindset, I've been able to go to, you know, 40 different countries and been all, you know, all over the world. And during this time in my partner had no kids at that point. Now is three. So his priorities changed a little bit, but he is a scratch golfer. And, but then we've also been able to continue to create and build something that is worth, you know, literally over 10 times that, uh, while,
1: while your quality of life is high.
0: Right. Exactly. And so, and, uh, another anecdote on that is there a guy, there's a guy named, uh, Bob Glazer that runs acceleration partners. It's an agency, uh, out of Boston, great guy. And he, uh, mandates that his people take one week off a year and he actually pays them a bonus as long as they don't answer email and don't answer their phone. Part of it's like, that's a cool cultural thing. But part of it is it forces no redundancy and no single point of failure, which is important even for the top, which means if I, I, whenever I hear a, a CEO or a founder say, I haven't taken a vacation in two years, it's like, wow, you're really bad at running a business. Like if you haven't built it so that you can delegate and pass off, like you should be monitoring things. You need to watch your cash flow. You need to watch how things are developing, watch the decisions being made. But like, if you don't know how to delegate and you know step away a little bit and not micromanage and take a fucking week off, you're doing it wrong and it's not sustainable. And then when someone comes and offers a nominal amount of money for you to sell, you're going to sell because what's really- you're exhausted? You're exhausted. Yeah. And there's four reasons people sell companies. One, they see dark clouds and they just can't do it anymore. Like they don't see the future. The future is not as bright as it is now. Two, they have a better idea. They're like, I'm going to go do something else. Three, they want to retire. They're just done, period. Or four, that partner can actually do something to benefit your business more than you can do yourself. If it's not one of those four reasons, then you're just being an idiot because you shouldn't sell. Like, there's no mm. reason to sell if it's not because of those because no one's going to value, be able to derive the value out of your business that you can yourself. And that's all that my wife's a senior exec in private equity. We invest in a lot of companies. The only reason someone's giving you money for your company is they believe that they're going to make more money with that money. So why would you give someone else that appreciation when you can keep it yourself? Now there's other arguments like diversification and taking money off the table. I get it. But if you have full conviction in what you're doing and it's sustainable, and that's the big part, both on the business side as well as retaining yourself and me personally retaining, it's critical to just build it so that you enjoy it and that you can, that it's balanced that you, and that's different for everyone. For me, it's traveling and having fun and hobbies and adventures. And then my actual work life is a lot of sandbox and trying new things and learning Um, that's how it sustains for me, whatever that means for you. It's super important as a business owner to focus on.
1: That's amazing advice. Um, will they find that in the book?
0: That part, partially, I do talk about it a little bit more marketing tactics.
1: Well, that's (laughs) you know, that's my some of my drive to start my business was i hated a two-hour commute in traffic yeah and <laughs> and it was before work from home and i was like this is like i am not spending the rest of my life losing 10 hours a week minimum yep. to traffic and yep. it made me miserable um I love that you was, said that by,
0: so that i went to work for a company before hawk I, and then i ended up co-founding a company with them but uh I had offers to work at live nation Warner music. And then this little incubator called science that had just launched dollar shave club, which wasn't anything yet. So th- yeah. they offered me a job. They were in Santa Monica. The other two were in like Burbank and Hollywood. I live in Santa Monica. I was like, I don't want to drive to Burbank or Hollywood. So I literally one of the big drivers of picking that job was a lack of commute.
1: That was No, it's yeah. been quality of life. At least that yeah. like, nudge me, you know, and it's been like every single decision I make, um, I I try to put it through that lens. It's like, is this going to make my life more enjoyable or less? It's not just about the money. You know, it's uh, do I want uh, uh, anonymity? You know, do I want autonomy? Do I want um, the ability to go and work remote? Okay, so let's get everything in the cloud and let's figure out how to make this stuff run when I'm not there. And, you know, Babson, to bring it back up and give them a little shout out was like huge for me because at Babson, you disconnect. Uh, at least the, the dorms I was in, they put you in this like kind of dormitory, like hotel room mm-hmm. and your phones and laptops aren't, they don't work. Uh, you know, like, so you're in class and you can't check on your team and like, you're not getting emails that are distracted. For how long? It was a week. So wow, like, that's awesome. I, I, I did like truthfully a couple nights I worked overnight. I had to, like my yep. business wasn't there. Um, so I worked through the night and it was 9am to 10pm classes. Wow. Like, organized schedule. Um, God. And so there was a couple nights, but it was I stepped away and I was like, you know what, everything didn't burn down. Yeah, you know, and it was the first time that I was scary kind of forced thing
0: to do, but you got to do it.
1: And it's a must for quality of life.
0: And by the way, know? as a business owner, it's gonna you're gonna have pain points. Like you're gonna step away and then you're gonna come back and go,
1: and why this, do you
0: this. broke this? You broke that. That's falling apart. Like it's going to happen. But you do it more and more, and over time, it gets better and better, and you can go for longer and longer, and why one last point why that's so important it's not just about going and taking a long vacation it's also it allows you to free up to go focus on things and growth and work on the business not in the business and continue to expand versus you know problem solving for your executives
1: yeah and I think um one way I built my life around the business where um we're not necessarily taking a vacation from our lives or our jobs because I love my job. Instead, it's just, we're traveling while working. And that might seem like a normal concept now, but it wasn't, you know, even five, six years ago um, where it was, I want to be able to not just travel and take the entire two weeks off, but you know, maybe it's working four hours a day and then going exploring in Thailand or whatever the case exactly. might be. So exactly. um, I think amazing advice, Eric, I've really enjoyed this convo. Um, yeah excited to read the book excited to see what you're doing and follow along now i've met the man behind hawk media um i'll put all of the the book the book links um how you can contact eric and hawk media and any of the show notes for anyone listening in their car on that commute no offense i was just talking about my own motivations uh to start my business but if you're on a commute tuning into the podcast Uh, i definitely want you to be able to get a hold of his book um and, and hawk media as well so once again Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your attention. And thank you to our sponsor, Wix.com. Today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Wix, where you can go where you want to create a website you're proud of, discover the platform that gives you the freedom to create, design, manage, and develop your web presence exactly the way you want. Go to Wix.com and check it out. Eric, thanks again for being on the show. Hustlers, I'll see you next time.